This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. Glad to have you with us online as there's nobody in here. Except my one audience. I don't, I don't have an audience. I have an audience. It's uh, Becky. <laughs> She's there. <laughs> she laughs loud. Keep, amen. There we go. She's going out of control now. So keeps gives me somebody to talk to. But uh, obviously everybody's sequestered away during this pandemic as we ride through this thing. In the meanwhile, churches have been going online as we are doing this morning. Glad that you are joining with us. Uh, we're blessed to, actually, it's pretty normal for us going online. We've been doing this for 10, 15 years around here. So this is just a regular service to us. I feel more sorry for a lot of churches that weren't prepared for this and they're kind of scrambling around. A lot of pastors, they pretty much just get in front of their iPhone in their room somewhere. Kind of, kind of looks like a Bin Laden video. <laughs> As you can have a curtain behind them because they just don't have the equipment and stuff. We're blessed. We have all this stuff, and we're glad that you've joined in with us. We're going to recite together now the Apostles' Creed. Those of you uh, new to us, and by the way, there are, uh, when we add up the numbers and they keep going higher and higher, there's thousands of people watching right now. Uh, just our streams, when you add up from our website, from our Celebration Church uh, Facebook page, my Facebook page, you start doing the math, and... Uh, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. There's thousands of people watching now, actually all over the world, which is always fascinating to me that people can connect with us from all over the place. And it's a lot of fun. Those of you new to Celebration Church, people often ask, what, what kind of church are we? Uh, we are what is referred to as a convergent church. What is that? What is that fancy word? Uh, uh, traditionally, uh, you can break churches down into pretty much three different categories. You've got liturgical churches, you know, uh, then you've got evangelical churches was just, you know, about the focusing on the word and, and stuff like that. And then you've got charismatic churches that are much more encouraging of the gifts of the spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And there's been a movement just not organized because most of us are unorganized, disorganized. But uh, uh, around the country over the last 10 years, many churches now are they're referring to themselves as convergent churches. Why is that? Because what they're doing is we're selecting the best of all of those. At Celebration Church, we have elements of liturgical worship that we bring in. We just did the Lord's Prayer together. We're about to say the Apostles' Creed together. We're going to do a communion together as we do every Sunday. Uh, obviously, we're very based in the scriptures and the uh, foundation of what we believe and encourage the uh, worship and the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Hence, that's kind of what we are. It's our mix of this. We hope you enjoy the mix. Anyway, part of our liturgical thing is we recite together the, the Apostles' Creed. What is this? This is the oldest recorded statement of faith uh, that Christians did. This goes back way to the first century, where they would take believers, and before they would baptize them, they would have them memorize and say this proclamation. And then they started making it as part of their regular liturgical worship. And we think it's a great statement of faith. This is who we are. This is what we believe. 
as Christians. So if you would recite together with me this morning, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is what we believe. This morning, uh, before we get into the uh, message this morning, we want to take a moment to take our offering. Now, traditionally, we would pass a bucket around. There's no people here, so there's no one to hand buckets to, except Becky. Becky can give in the one bucket if she likes. But the rest of you, if you would just take a moment. Now, I've been reading about churches all across America that are in great financial crisis today because of not having services. I am so grateful that our church, by and large, has been very faithful in their giving. It's down a bit, but not as bad as many are suffering. Let me encourage you, continue to be faithful to give into the kingdom of God. Uh, why do you want to do that? Because God blesses those who are generous. Give, and it will be given to you. And if there's a time where you want God blessing you through a time of uncertainty, it is now. now I know a lot of people think, well, Lord, bless me, and then I'll give. But it doesn't work that way. You give, and then he blesses you. That's the way it works. You want God watching out for you financially during this time? Continue to be faithful with your giving. And the scriptures are very clear, teaching us that those who bless us spiritually should be supported financially in return. So take a minute right now. Uh, some of you, depending on which site you're on, you'll see a give button that you can click, or you can go uh, and uh, text to give. You text to 77977. So take out your phone. We already got it. And hit 77977. That's the number you're going to text to. And then in the message, put CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin, and the amount of money that you want to give, whatever it is. Say, so how much should I give? Be as generous as you can. The more generous you are, the greater the blessings come back. It's absolutely solid scriptural principle. You want a special financial blessing today? Bless back in return. Or you can go to the uh, Give site uh, you know, on our website. You'll see lots of, on our app. If you're using the app, you'll see the Give button. Uh, whatever you can do there. And do something. Don't, don't be a slacker. <laughs> are you slackers out there? Even you guys that don't belong to our church physically in Wisconsin, you watch us all the time. Should you give? Yeah, you should. All y'all should give something because that's the right thing to do to bless those who minister back to us. All right, as you're navigating through that, we'll begin today's message. Today, of course, is Palm Sunday. I want to read to you uh, this morning from Psalms, the 118th Psalm, starting at verse 19. And the psalmist writes this, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you. You have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's where we really started getting a picture that this is very much a prophetic portion of Scripture. This is referring to Jesus, the Messiah, 
is going to be rejected. The uh, stone that the builders rejected becomes the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, the very cornerstone of our faith. This is in the Lord's, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Now, this is translated, as we'll read in a minute in the Gospels, as to the word Hosanna. The word Hosanna means, Lord, save us. So when we say Hosanna, as we were singing earlier, Hosanna, it's a cry out to God to bring salvation, to rescue us. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, this is what happens when Jesus, we'll read it in just a minute, when Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem on that donkey, people start quoting this verse. Now, there's some debate as to, are they simply quoting a well-known verse, or is this verse prophesying what is going to happen on this day? Who knows? Either way, this is what they start crying out, is Hosanna, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival procession with, check it out, branches up to the horns of the altar. So we know that this was absolutely very likely a prophetic word that on this day, uh, people are going to be shouting out, save us, O Lord, but in a celebratory way. Hosanna. And using branches as part of this and crying out to God, save us. So now let's go to Matthew in the Gospels. This is Matthew, the 21st chapter, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read about this day that happens some 2,000 years ago. Now, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Typically, this is known as theft. <laughs> it is. You can't just walk in and someone, take somebody's horse or donkey or car and drive off with it. Uh, but that's what he tells them to do. Just take it when you see it. And he predicts exactly where they'll see it. Untie it and bring it to me. And he says, and of course, I'm thinking, whoa. And he says, listen, if anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. Now, we don't see if anybody does that to them. My guess is someone is, you know, Hey, where are you going with my donkey? And they just said, uh, the Lord needs them. And somehow these people knew, oh, oh, okay. And they just let him go. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. This is the prophet Zechariah. Uh, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is actually, let's, let's, Flip back over to Zechariah, and let's actually read the words the prophet writes. It's virtually exactly the same words that he's quoting. This is found in the book of Zechariah, prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. And this is what he writes hundreds of years before this event occurs. This is a prophetic thing. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant, and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is, this is this prophecy. Now, these people all knew about this prophecy. 
these were very strictly religious people, and certainly the religious leaders of the day who are religious on steroids, they knew it without a doubt. This has been a verse that has been talked about for centuries, a sign of the Messiah coming. And one of the signs of the many things they read in the Old Testament is that this king would become riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, I don't know uh, that they truly understood how this would play out. I mean, if you didn't know what was going to happen this day, how would you, you know, people come on donkeys every day into Jerusalem. Is he just going to happen to be one of the guys who walks in the gate one day? Is it, is it going to be orchestrated? How, how's this going to happen? And on this day, this prophecy is fulfilled, and it is fulfilled in quite glorious fashion where multitudes of people, of course, they're all there anyway because of the Passover celebration. I mean, Jerusalem is full. There's people camped probably for miles all around Jerusalem. It's people, pilgrims come from all over the country, all over the then known world would come to celebrate Passover. There's, there's a lot of people there on this day. And uh, Jesus starts coming down and this spontaneous event occurs where people start celebrating and shouting what we read in Psalm 118. I believe prophetically, or they were just quoting this verse, whatever. Uh, and this just happens. I mean, you, what's amazing about this, is it's not like they had social media where Jesus, you know, sent out a message. Hey, guys, I'm going to in Jerusalem today. <laughs> three, three o'clock, let's all celebrate. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no printing presses. Nobody's handing out flyers. No one's going ahead. This just happens spontaneously. Where as he's coming in, everybody has, as is described in Psalm 119, is all these people gather together and start shouting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. And the prophecy at this is the day that the great king will enter Jerusalem. So they all knew about this. I'm sure nobody knew what it meant, but when it starts happening, I think it's dawning on people, wow, this is a big, significant deal. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. This is an extremely powerful moment. Everyone knew if Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey that he is stating without question, I am the king of the Jews. Now, he never says this. I looked diligently, uh, you know, used to be looking books, now you just Google it. <laughs> Research, but I couldn't find any place where Jesus mentioned or said that he was the king of the Jews. Okay, but by the end of this week, he is known almost exclusively by the phrase king of the Jews. How does this happen? I mean, stop and think about it. Let's, let's skip a little bit ahead to what happens on Friday. Jesus is arrested. They, they drag him in. The Pharisees drag him in. Uh, they're accusing him and debating about whether or not he's been com co committing blasphemy and stuff like that. They drag him to the Jewish or to the uh, Roman rulers. They could care less about their little religious argument. The Romans were pagans. They, they had so many of their own versions of idols and gods and religions. You couldn't even keep up with it all. Much less everywhere they went, they conquered lands and conquered peoples and took over. They were hearing different people's versions of religion from here, from one end of the Roman Empire to the other. So these guys come in whining about Jesus saying this or that about their religion. And I don't think Pontius Pilate gave two twits about what in the world they were talking about. 
and they weren't getting anywhere until the Jewish leader says, he claims to be a king. Now remember, he never says this. And as I was doing the search, you know, you type in the word king, the, the reason why it was complicated is because then it brings up every word that has king in it, which is the word kingdom. And there's a gazillion phrases of kingdom, even in the New Testament, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Just, it was hard just to find the words, just the word king. Uh, and nowhere could I find, if you can find it, let me know. Uh, I've been known to make a mistake on occasion. But no place that I ever could find anywhere where Jesus said, I'm the king of the Jews. Jesus didn't really go around proclaiming him much of anything. He revealed privately in a few situations. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The woman at the well. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. And he says, well, I'm the guy, you know. I mean, so, you know, there's very few people, and, and it was just him and her talking, that he revealed. His disciples for the longest time didn't have a clue who he was. Jesus asked them, who do you guys think I am? And they're thinking, we don't know. <laughs> you never say. <laughs> if you would say, we would know. He doesn't, so, you know, Eventually, Peter says, you know, we believe that, that you are the Messiah and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's, it's really on the down low. They referred to Jesus as the prophet, as a teacher, as a rabbi, as a healer. He had, he's, he's only been out there for three years doing this. And he's got all kinds of names. But nobody, nobody is calling him king. And he hasn't called himself king. And I don't believe the, the disciples ever referred to him as a king. And all of a sudden, by the end of this week, he is known almost exclusively as the king of the Jews. How did that happen? Because of what happens on this day. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this day, he knew what he was saying. He knew everyone would immediately put the two and two together, the prophecy about the Messiah coming, the king coming on a donkey, and as he comes riding in. Of course, the religious leaders immediately knew what was going on. And they're freaking out because all of a sudden they hear them shouting the words of the psalm. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he's riding on a donkey. He's coming to Jerusalem. It took about two tenths of a second before they put that math together and said, Look what he's doing. He, he can't do this. this. This symbolism was so powerful. I mean, for him to do this. Now, some say, you know, obviously skeptical people say, well, Jesus knew that this was prophesied, so he intentionally came riding on a donkey. Oh, all right. You know, you can't convince those who are skeptical. I will say this. There's no way of him to have organized ahead of time the crowds and the celebration, right? He could just walk in the donkey and be like, hey, there goes Jesus on a donkey. I mean, who, who knows, you know, or... Walked in quietly. This thing just happens, and it happens on a grand scale, which is celebrated even to this day. This is a big stinking deal. And when this starts happening, the Pharisees freak out. And they go, and they start yelling at Jesus, Jesus, don't quit saying that. They're quoting this psalm that they've been reading for hundreds of years, centuries. And they're thinking about this prophecy that says the great king will come this way into Jerusalem. It's all happening seconds in front of their eyes, they are freaking out because they think this is highly inappropriate. And they're yelling at Jesus, tell them to stop saying that. And that's when Jesus said, hey, if they be silent, the stones themselves will cry out. And so, I mean, they are fit to be tied. The symbolism, now symbolism is a big deal in cultures. Even to this day, now we can think of historical symbolism. For example, when George Washington, you know, the paintings have him standing on the boat as he's crossing the Delaware, the great father of our nation. Can you imagine if Donald Trump tomorrow morning got in a boat 
and stood like this as someone <laughs> paddled their way across the tower. People would go apoplectic. Oh my goodness, the people on the left would lose their ever-loving minds, which he sets them off all the time. I personally find it highly entertaining. But, but it's not just people on the left. Imagine if Barack Obama had done this. If he'd have gotten in a boat and went like this as people were rowing across, the people on the right would have gone insane. You can't do this. You can't take that symbol. I mean, and listen to me, folks. This is nothing. That would be nothing compared to what Jesus does on this day. When he comes in and he's riding on a donkey as people are yelling and celebrating and they got the palms as was branches that's talked about in the psalm from hundreds of years earlier, and they're all shouting, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, he's on this donkey. They are freaking out. This is a massive, and in fact, this event is what sets off what happens to them by the end of the week. Uh, and I don't know, this never really hit me before. I mean, how many times have I heard sermons on this story? How many times have I preached the story? In fact, I thought, how could I have never missed this? No one's ever pointed this out. And I grabbed a book, you know, uh, about this. And I opened it. And, and they talk about it. It just never hit me before. This is a big stinking deal. Although they didn't even emphasize it as strong in that book. They casually pointed out. This is no casual thing. Stop and what think happens. The Pharisees then come to Pilate and say, blah, blah, blah. And go, oh, yeah, who cares? Your stupid religion. He said, but he claims to be king. Well, as soon as he says king, that gets his attention. Because you can't say you're a king in the Roman Empire because they will kill you because there's only one king and his name is Caesar. And that's when Pilate, all of a sudden, he reacts and says to Jesus, are you a king? And I believe three of the four gospels, Jesus says, well, you say so. Or it could be interpreted, I didn't say it, you said it. <laughs> or I think one interpreted, uh, it's as you say, whatever. Uh, it's just a very small, now here's the interesting thing. During this whole time, they're accusing Jesus. He says nothing. He says absolutely nothing. The Bible says he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, didn't open his mouth, except in this one case. Now, John actually records at this moment that he has a mini conversation with Pilate. When he asks him, Pilate goes, are you a king? And, and Jesus looks at him and says, according to John, he says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, we'd be surrounding Jerusalem with my followers and tearing the place apart to set me free. Uh, and uh, so Jesus is just trying to say, my kingdom is not of this world. And all Pilate responded was, so you are a king? <laughs> and that's when Jesus says, well, you said it. You used that word. Uh, and, you know, Pilate just let him off. He, he didn't think there was any big deal about it. He didn't see any insurrection. So um, he asked, him, are you king of the Jews? That set him off. Um, and then when they're all gathering together to throw Jesus and, and scream for his crucifixion, now it's often been preached, I have preached it, virtually every preacher I know has preached it, about how fickle these people are. This day they're all crying out, blessed he comes in the name of the Lord, and five days later, crucify him. But in all fairness, it's probably not the same group of people. There are thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time. Those who recognized him. And who knows, but by God's divine sovereign grace, those who were closest to where the procession was were people who had positive opinions of Jesus and started shouting all his praises. Uh, when he comes in Jerusalem, we'll see in a minute, half the people said, who is this guy? 
So I don't think it was the same people. We all preach that it is the same. It's actually not. There's no way it's the same people. They're, people are crazy, but they're not that crazy for heaven's sakes. You know, it would take a while to go from, gee, I love you. Gee, let's kill him. You know, I mean, it takes, that's. <laughs> I can make some comments, but I won't. I'll leave that alone. So anyway, so Pilate gets in front of all these people and he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? When did he ever say he was king of the Jews? And they said, no, no, give us Barabbas. We'd rather have, and then he says, well, what shall I do with the one you call king of the Jews? Let's have a thing about it. This is fascinating. At this moment, by this time, everybody refers to Jesus as king of the Jews. Why? Because of what happens on this day. When he came in riding on that donkey, this is a major, powerful statement that Jesus knew what he was doing when he was doing it. And that is he is proclaiming without saying a word, I am the king of the Jews because he fulfills his prophecy. Talking about the king coming on a donkey. It was so ingrained in the people in just a few days, even the pagan Romans were probably talking about, what's all the hubbub? Oh, this guy claims to be the king. Why? Well, he came in and this prophecy or whatever. So it, it's gotten so much in their head that when the soldiers were beating Jesus and mocking him, they started making fun of him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews. By this time, even they referred to Jesus as king of the Jews, a phrase he never uses and had never said up to this point. But because of what happens on this day, everyone instantly recognizes this is what he's saying. Uh, on the cross, they nailed the phrase above him, king of the Jews. Again, he never said that. Not with his words, but he did on this day with this action. This is a major deal. The religious leaders protested. Pilate said, don't, don't put king of the Jews. Say, he said he was king of the Jews. Actually, he never did say that. But he did on this day when he rode in on that donkey. This is a major deal. This is what sets everything off. I always thought it was Tuesday that set them all off. You know, this is Palm Sunday. This is Holy Week. You know, tomorrow is when Jesus goes and he knocks over the temples and makes a big mess. But on Tuesday, Tuesday, he absolutely fries the Pharisees. Read what happens on Tuesday. He calls them every name in the book. You bunch of snakes. You're like a bunch of open graves rotting away. You're hypocrites. You're phonies. You're children of the devil. I mean, he is hammering these guys. They are furious. I always thought, and I'm sure it didn't help, <laughs> but I always thought it was just that that set him off. No, no, no. What set was this day when he came in riding on that donkey? They were infuriated that he came in that way because they knew the implication of this day. Strongly, the rest of us, we just think it's a day when people wave palm branches in church. So it doesn't really affect us as strongly as it did that culture. I'm telling you, this was massive, a massive statement when Jesus came in that way. So anyway, when they were mocking Jesus on the cross, they said he saved others, the king of the Jews, let him save himself. Again, it's synonymous. They're not even using his name anymore through all this. All this happens on the last day. He's constantly referred to as the king of the Jews. Let the king of the Jews come down from the cross. And isn't it fascinating, as Jesus is being crucified between two thieves, two rotten scoundrels, one was rotten to the end. 
He's mocking Jesus and making fun. But the other one has a moment of faith. An epiphany happens to him. I don't know if he heard Jesus earlier talking, uh, preaching in the temple. Uh, who knows what his experience was? But all of a sudden, he realizes what is happening. And he cries out to Jesus in a moment of faith and repentance. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He too now. Everyone knows because of what happens on this day, Jesus is proclaimed the king of the Jews. This is a big stinking deal. Okay, so let's back up now. He's coming in uh, back to uh, Matthew 21, verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt. They put their cloaks on them. He sat on them. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches as we read in Psalm 118. Uh, and uh, spread them out on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him that were, fo- and that, that were following, this big crowd, they all start yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. It sounds like a celebratory praise, and it is a celebratory praise, but it literally means, Lord, save us. Stop and think about it. This is fascinating. They're yelling out, Lord, save us. They are just... And, and some of the, if we jump over to Luke, the 19th chapter, verse 39, or you can believe me if you want, <laughs> not flip around. Uh, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. See, that's when they said it. This has got to stop because they realize what this is implying. And he says, if they were silent, the stones would shout out. Anyway, so he says this in the, back in verse 10 of chapter 21. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city's in turmoil. And they said, who is this guy? See, that's why I don't think it was the same group of people. Um, and the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. He's known as the Nazarene. He's known as a prophet and stuff. That's how they know him. But from now on, he's referred to as what? The king of the Jews because of this procession that happens. And I love this word, Hosanna. God, save us. Now, as I preached, uh, I keep looking at the clock, but I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> I can preach all day. <laughs> Nobody can go anywhere, right? Uh, I'll try not to drag it out too much, too much longer. But they're yelling, Hosanna, which means save us. But they're doing it in a positive way. So I've been, I've been preaching the last few weeks about fear. Watch out for fear because this whole pandemic has people freaked out and stuff. And I get it. It's unsettling. It's a little creepy. But don't get in a state of fear because fear will shut the door to faith and you won't experience any miracles in your life. You want to keep the door open to faith. Even when you cry out for God to save you and help you, you can do it one of two ways. One of two. You can either, oh God, save us. I don't know what we're going to do, which is fear, which you're pretty much going to get jack squat from God if you do it that way. Or you can cry out, God, save us. Help us through this time. But you're doing it in a positive way, which is what they're doing when they're yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. They're doing excited. It would be like if we actually had people here this morning. <laughs> and I was walking around with a wad of $100 bills. And I was saying, who could use $100 this morning? And people would go, Hosanna. <laughs> I'll take some of that. And it'd be raising your hands. Even some of you stuffy ex-Catholics and ex-Baptists that come to our church, who you, churches where you never raise your hands. No, I'm, I'm too, too religious to raise my hands. 
because the Bible says you should raise your hands. See, that's part of our charismatic group that, that pulls in. Uh, they don't want to raise their hands. But boy, you start handing out $100 bills. I bet you all these religious people go, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, save me. I'll take 100 bucks. And you would be doing it excitedly, positively. You'd be laughing your head. Like, yeah, me, me, me. Can you imagine? It'd be like, you know, one of these game shows. Come on down. Everybody's yelling and screaming. Woo! They picked me. And, and you'd be excited. You'd be ready. This is the kind of celebration they're having. They're crying out to God. Save us. We're like, oh, yeah, right here, right here. It's not fear. It's not misery crying out for salvation. It's not despair. No, woe is me. Walking around like Eeyore, oh, bother. Oh, bother, they have us sequestered for another day. Oh, it's going to be horrible today. The good news is it'll even be worse tomorrow, so that makes today better. Oh, bother. Oh, I don't know how we're going to survive. We're all going to die. Good night. Don't live that way. Say, well, what happens if we all lose our jobs? We'll trust God for new jobs. Thank you for that. One amen <laughs> for my audience. <laughs> Good preaching, Pastor. I'm going to encourage myself. Nobody, <laughs> nobody else is here to, to shout me on. This Palm Sunday, let's cry out to God in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this insanity, in the midst of us needing help, in the midst of, I don't know if I can take my kids for another day. <laughs> in the midst of all this stuff, my husband's getting on my nerves, in the midst of all this, let's cry out, God save us, but not, oh, God save us, because that doesn't get, I'm telling you, if crying and whining and belly aching would get God's attention, people would have miracles all the time. Because if there's one thing people do is they whine, cry, complain, and cry out in fear. But people who do that generally don't get anything out of God. It's the people who cry out in faith and they're positive and they know these are the people. It's like the woman who, who was sick and Jesus is going through the crowd and she's thinking to herself, man, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch this, oh man, I'll be healed. And sure enough, all of a sudden Jesus goes, whoa, who touched me? And he's around thousands of people grabbing at him. They're thinking, hello, <laughs> everybody's touching you. No, 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 somebody touched me. See, it got his attention. Faith is what gets, gets God's attention. It's this positive crying out of Hosanna that God goes, ooh, I like that. It's when you're, woo, I'll take that hundred. Yeah, baby. These are the people. God goes, yeah, there we go. Be that kind of person. Be the celebratory person today. As we cry out to God and we celebrate this week of, of Holy Week and gather, uh, we'll be going online for our Good Friday service this Friday, one o'clock. I'm assuming most of you won't have any place to be. <laughs> and you can join us as, as we uh, do our Good Friday service. And then, of course, Sunday morning, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection. But uh, let's be celebratory in our crying out to God. Should we cry out to God and ask for God for help during this time? Absolutely. God, save us. But not in fear, not in whining, not in complaining, but in positive. Yes, they were praising and celebrating, crying save us as he came in. And from this moment now, he is the king of the Jews. Hallelujah. All right, I got to shut up. Let's wrap this up. We're going to go into our time of communion this morning. You know, in uh, his epistle to the Corinthians, Apostle Paul 
wrote these words. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. We're about to eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And before we do this, we're supposed to examine ourselves. So I want us to all pray. This is how we kind of reflect it. Where am I at? How am I doing? Yeah, I've been nothing but full of fear and whining and complaining, or I've been biting everybody's head around because I'm irritated over the stupid quarantine and my kids are driving nuts. I'm not handling this the way I should. Here's the time to kind of reset. Uh, every Sunday when we do this, it's a time of reflecting, where am I at, God? Where am I at? And, and I just want to pray a general prayer of forgiveness for all of us. Why? Because everybody messes up at some point. The good news is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So right where you're at, as you're watching this online, just go ahead and bow your uh, head with me as we pray together. I want to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause for a moment to do as the scripture says, examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, Lord, something that we thought, something we said that we shouldn't have said, something we did that we shouldn't have done, or something that we should have done that we didn't do, by whatever situation, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, we ask you right now for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. Forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And if you're watching me right now and you're thinking, you know, I've, I've never done any of this. This is all new to me. I'm, the reason I'm tuning in, I'm, I am freaked out. I don't know what's going on. I, maybe this, a lot of people are starting to turn to God, coming back to faith during this time of crisis. Right now, just in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Open your heart to him. Say, God, come into my life. Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to be able to shout confidently, God, save me, instead of being in fear and uncertainty. Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. That's what we're going to celebrate at, at this moment. So.